Hello and welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today I'm talking to Justin Jacobson. He's an esports and entertainment attorney at the Jacobson Firm. Justin, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Mitch. You can follow Justin on Twitter at JustinJESQ. I'll link that down below. And we're going to be talking about esports law, the ramifications of COVID-19 and how companies deal with unforeseen pandemics, and some other really interesting legal issues that have happened in esports over the past two years, most notably talking a little bit about Tifu and the streamer rights that come out of that on a broad sense. So Justin, what work have you done in the space just to give people an idea of where your expertise lies here? Um, so, so I've been in the problem in the esports and the professional gaming scene for about the last four years. I've worked on both the professional player and streamer side as well as on behalf of teams. So I've you know, negotiated major deals in the Overwatch League, the Call of Duty League, Fortnite, PUBG, CSGO, very involved in Halo and Gears of War. So I've really done a lot of major tier one organization deals. It's really cool. And I'm excited to talk to you about, you know, some of what these contracts look like. Now, obviously, you can't share specifics on these deals. That is not allowed. Uh, but on a general sense, we'll be talking sort of how esports contracts are evolving and, you know, what they look like uh, from a broader sense. So in the four years you've been in esports, have you noticed contracts become a little more advanced in their language and maybe a little bit of knowledge coming from esports players and teams about, you know, really making sure that esports contracts are ironclad? Yeah, I mean, I think that in the last couple of years, especially with this transition to a lot more franchise-based leagues, we've seen a lot more uniformity. I would say most of, you know, the pro league Call of Duty teams, their agreements were pretty similar in substance. You know, most of the things similar to like, you know, NFL and NBA contracts came down to like the nuts and bolts, the how many hours, the how much pay, the what your housing stipend is going to be. Whereas a lot of kind of, you know, the meat and potatoes, as they say, has kind of come a bit uniform and it's pretty similar across a lot of titles and definitely in these franchise leagues. It's interesting. Do you think there's sort of a boilerplate contract that comes with where the Call of Duty League is like, here's a contract and then teams can maybe adjust it, which is why you see pretty similar language across the board? I mean, I don't necessarily know if that's how it is. I, I believe that, you know, Blizzard Activision might have had some kind of role in the general formality, especially considering, you know, they applied like these are the certain salaries, the minimums you have to give people and these are the perks and benefits. So I think the fact that they probably have some kind of oversight over it, but also a lot of the major, especially in North America, T1 organizations are kind of represented by the same attorney. So, you know, he has a lot of the similar concepts in mind when he's creating their agreements. So, you know, as someone who's done a lot of these deals, you start to see a lot of similarities and kind of provisions that are kind of almost becoming standard used by many different teams. I believe that would be Bryce Blum over at ESG Law, who's re representing most of the big players in esports. Correct me if I'm wrong and there's somebody else in the space, but that's who I assume you're talking well, about. Well, I mean, yeah, the person you, on the, his website has a lot of these different organizations that he, you know, works with, so... You know, it's pretty much out there. Yeah, I don't think Bryce is shy about saying who he represents. Uh, 
when you talk about these Activision Blizzard leagues and we're looking at COVID-19, it's obviously the elephant in the room of every single conversation that we have right now. What's in place in these contracts to deal with? I mean, nobody knew a global pandemic was coming and that every single major event would be canceled for the unforeseen future. So how do contracts deal with issues like that? Um, so generally, most contracts have what are called force majeure clauses. So these are like, you know, act of God clauses is what they're called. And they kind of toll or potentially terminate an agreement if something like, you know, out of control happens. Like if there's an earthquake or a hurricane or, you know, a war, you know, these things are just they're out of everyone's control. And, you know, I would say a global pandemic where you have, you know, presidents and prime ministers of countries saying, you know, there's no tourism, like you can't fly, you're locked in your houses, that would probably fall under this, you know, act of God, like, you know, unforeseen circumstance. Like you said, no one thought when Overwatch League was playing their homestands that no one would be able to congregate more than 20 people in a room. You know, so this might fall under these kind of clauses. And the way they kind of operate is based on, you know, the government and, you know, state-run sanctioned kind of movement where it says okay everyone has to stay indoors so because it's governed by the state and the country the people that run it these clauses come in if you know for instance you're a tournament operator and you were just nervous but you know and you didn't know if you should cancel it or not and your state didn't kind of say all events are canceled this might not operate but as soon as you know a state official issues you know, proclamation or executive order stating, you know, all events are suspended, these kind of clauses will probably come into effect. And then additionally, especially if you're, you know, an event organizer, you probably have some kind of insurance, you know, liability insurance that covers these kind of act of God force majeure events. So yeah, you're supposed to have this big concert, but imagine if there was a huge monsoon, you know, in the summer or a blizzard, and now you can't have it. So you may get this certain event insurance or liability insurance that will pay you a certain amount. So instead of losing $10 million, you only lose $3 million because you have you know, an insurance policy that helps cover a bit of the losses. What do those clauses trigger? So something like that happens. What does that mean? Uh, again, generalizing on these contracts. So we're in this really weird circumstance. It's an act of God. What does that mean for the deal? Well, you know, usually it may be allowed you to toll, which is kind of put the agreement on hold, suspend it, where it's like, okay, we're just kind of pausing it for a certain period, or potentially terminate the agreement, where it's like, okay, so let's do something in a month from now, probably not going to happen, so let's just terminate the agreement, and you don't have to pay me X, because I'm not going to do Y. So it really, those are kind of really the options. You toll it, or you just pause it, and a month from now, or two months from now, or whatever it is, six months from now, you resume from that point. Or you kind of just terminate it and extinguish it if it's not going to, you know, if it's a three-month deal, two months from now, it's not going to really matter, you know, at that time point. Definitely. Thinking about esports specifically and how all these competitions are not necessarily being outright canceled, while some had to be totally canceled, uh, a lot of them are moving just to online-based competitions. So how does that affect a deal is that something that was already created in the contract where hey if we have to move all competitions online uh it affects player compensation it affects this and this or does that all have to be figured out after the fact once you know the pandemic happens travel bans are in place and now 
leagues are scrambling a little bit to make sure they figure out what they need to do to go forward. Well, yeah, I mean, most of these contracts, especially, you know, the professional leagues and competitive gamers are kind of structured just like you're getting a salary per month to be on our team, you know, and tournaments and league play is kind of part of what you do and you might get a bonus for doing well, but it doesn't really affect it, if that makes sense. It's really kind of where I think is unique is, you know, some contracts have certain streaming hours and usually they have reductions about your monthly hours based on how much tournament and scrimming and, you know, travel you do. So I think that more of these clauses will focus more on streaming hours and making sure that their players really adhere to what they're supposed to, to earn their full amounts. Additionally, some contracts actually allow for reductions if you don't get to your streaming hours and your salary. So, you know, I think there'll be interesting kind of, this new competitive thing where it's like, okay, you were used to be competing and flying all over the place, but you're still competing from home or from our training facility or your gaming house. But now since you don't have to fly to New York and to LA and to Houston, you're going to have to stream for us on those extra travel days that you used to have. Interesting. So esports is a little bit unique in that case. It's hard for a musician to then not do a concert and do something online an athlete can't really play their sport but esports can just move towards streaming it's like oh you can't play today well then just stream for eight hours instead so it's a little bit unique to esports then yeah yeah exactly like like you said you can't do a concert not if you're live you know you want to go see a live performance yes you can look at it on your your phone your computer your you know laptop your big screen whatever it's not the same as going to an event so the amount you're going to pay is nowhere going to be comparable you know, the $20, $30, $50 ticket for a live show, maybe you can five, maybe $10 if you're lucky. You know, so everything just scales down. It's really, really interesting. And I know you represent clients outside of esports as well. Would you say it's been a little crazier for those clients compared to your esports ones? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the big thing is that the esports guys can really kind of continue what they're doing you know most of their world has really already been online anyway like you know other than when you're going to a competition in person everything else is online you're used to you have streaming setups you know how to set up twitch you may already have been doing unique activations that's not just you playing video games whereas all the musicians you know everyone's doing twitch streams everyone's doing ig lives and you know i have clients that are part of like you know record labels like online festivals where you know they're djing a live set for an hour on youtube and it's like they had to learn how to make sure they had the proper equipment set up the proper video that everything sounds good and you know all the things that was already inherently part of the esports and gaming world yeah it's kind of crazy i'm on tiktok and the amount of like celebrities and musicians that have just flocked to the platform because they have nowhere else to do it. it's like okay i guess the only thing i can do is build my social following on every single platform that just seems like the goal generally for most entertainers at this point right the only marketers making money now are social media ones you know all the event planners who did all the activations at festivals and south by and coachella it's like well yeah budweiser isn't paying that six figure you know Coachella activation this year so we don't really need you to go on the event and plan this and all these things that come with that brings up a good point on the brand side how did those brands that had deals in place had on-site activations it was a huge part 
of the Overwatch League and the Call of Duty Leagues was, hey, we're going to bring in brands and we're going to bring in regional brands. Uh, for example, in Minnesota, one of the few Call of Duty events that could play on site, they brought in a regional Ford dealership. And these sort of regional partners were going to be a huge tentpole of those leagues. So how do brand partners that were excited to be part of an on-scene event, can they get any juice out of their activation? Or is it just completely wiped out when this happens? I mean, that was kind of the biggest thing that stood out to me was like, okay, like, your sponsor, like, yeah, you want to be on their jerseys, you want to have some content, whatever. But the cream of the crop and what was most valuable to you was, you know, being a featured at the homestand, everyone coming to use your Samsung phone and, you know, tasting your whatever popcorn or energy drink, whatever, at kind of the fan fest. And losing that, I think, is a huge loss. So, again, you know, these force majeure kind of clauses may come into effect. You obviously aren't going to have to pay the expenses associated with the event. Like if you had to, you know, pay a player on the team an extra appearance fee or, you know, you had to buy certain merchandise or, you know, do a certain spend for it, you're probably not going to have to do it because the event's not coming. But you might also have had to pay a staffing company. You might have had to reserve lighting and sound equipment and, you know, computers and whatever else. And, you know, deposit you had to pay might not be refundable and, you know, you might not have to pay for the use of the event. But, you know, especially if this was a month or, you know, 60 days or 30 days before, you might not be able to get your deposit back. So, you know, might have lost half the money or 10 or 20 percent. And there's really nothing you can do about it as a brand. Yeah. And a lot of places aren't being quick with refunds, given that nobody knows when the stock market will rebound, when events will continue. And so giving out these refunds for things has proven very difficult for airlines specifically are really struggling because they just don't have they can't afford to give that money back even though they probably should when you can't get the flight to actually happen so it's yeah they'll just move it to another day like yeah reschedule over two months from now three months from now yeah they can't afford to just give that money back which is scary a little bit in how many companies are just like oh i need to hold on to every single dollar i get because i'm not sure when cash is going to start flowing back in. If it's next month, great. If it's three months from now, we're screwed. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I feel like every industry other than, I guess, like, you know, hand soap and Lysol is doing really well right now. Exactly. And Twitch. It's one of the places that people are going. I just got the stats from March. March saw a 30% increase in hours watched compared to February, which is absurd. Translates to 10 million more hours watched on the platform. And it's just a lot. Like to go from 30 million to about 43, I think it was 30 million in January, and now it's 43 in March is an absurd increase and just a testament to how many people are at home and are watching gamers. So, on a contract side, do you think we see any issues? for streamers suddenly there's an influx of cash and streamers might be looking more at what the revenue split is from their stream this was obviously a very high profile issue for tifu last year around this time is that something that streamers are going to be looking at more heavily as everyone's focused on the streaming world and hours are shooting through the roof i mean i think that you know as you mentioned it's pretty amazing that all these numbers are happening and you know, I think if you're a streamer, you're going to think about ways to really maximize it. You know, maybe if you're going to have donations, maybe you're going to 
make sure that everything is operating properly. Maybe you're going to get some new, new emotes so that you can get more subscriptions. Maybe you're going to focus a little bit more on you know paywall content and exclusive stuff to really mobilize you know your fans and get more subs. You know, I think that's going to be a focus of more people, and it makes more sense because if everyone's watching Twitch, you know, you, you get your regular free account for this. But you want the real goods. You want my how to be an awesome player tips. You know, how to build the best. Like, what are the best weapons to equip? Like, you know, the real stuff you really want. You might really focus on, you know, making sure that's paywalled. And really kind of saying, hey, everyone, you know, check out my new how-to with subs. You know, sub for this month and you get this plus new emotes. So I think that might be a focus of, you know, streamers and gamers in general. Yeah, and I think we're also going to see a pretty big influx from the mainstream world. Twitch, you know, being bought by Amazon and having millions upon millions of hours watched was is mainstream-ish, but it hadn't totally crossed over yet. And I feel like now with all these celebrities, with athletes moving to the platform, with musicians moving to the platform, we're going to see a lot of people pick up Twitch for the first time. And as we know in the gaming world, once you start going to Twitch, you usually becomes part of your daily browsing uh, every so often. You know, it's, oh, let's go check out Twitch for a little bit here. So it'll be interesting to see how much user retention Twitch sees, given how many people are flocking to the platform now and how many celebrities are picking it up and really starting to stream, not just, hey, I'm going to throw on Call of Duty game to, to some viewers, but figuring out good activations, figuring out how to set up a streaming world and figuring out what makes a good twitch stream so it'll be interesting to see if that if it really mainstreams uh the other streaming platforms more than just twitch but mostly twitch after covid19 finally lifts well here's a spoiler i've been feeling that this has been going to be a big thing for a while i've actually talked with a bunch of you know nfl and nba agents and some just talent that i work with of you know how you set up twitch right how you you know have a or overlays and how you monetize things and you know how you go about having a professional stream so i really believe that this is a unique way for any influencer you know musician artist fashion designer stylist blogger influencer to interact with their fans and you know the more creative and the more unique you can get with it the better chance you have of setting yourself apart and you know the fact that you have major top line you know a-list celebrities using it and consistently using it just really, you know, says like, yeah, like, this is real. Like, you know, kind of like gives you that extra check mark that you need to know that this is kind of the route to go at. Yeah, I think it all kicked off with the Drake and Ninja stream. And after that happened, it suddenly became a much bigger thing for celebrities. And they saw, they also see a benefit in this. You've been talking to some agents. I talked to a couple of players last week, including Andre Drummond and Tawan Walker. Andre Drummond, uh, center for the Cleveland Cavs now. He used to be on the Pistons for a long time. And uh, Walker, a pitcher for the Seattle Mariners. And they're both looking at streaming video games. And they see it as a really good way to stay connected with their fans. Because athletes are suddenly struggling for that. They're the normal schedule of, oh, okay, I'm going to be on TV. I'm going to be on NBA and TNT is gone. And so how do you stay connected with your fans? Well, Twitch streams are one good way to do it. And we've seen some athletes really build up bigger fan bases. Uh, Myers Leonard, for example, Juju Smith-Schuster, Marshawn Lynch even, build up bigger fan bases by their connection to the gaming world as well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that's definitely what I've been, you know, looking at. And I even actually had an article published yesterday on a music business site kind of giving some legal and business tips for musicians on how to use Twitch, explaining what bits are and, you know, donations and subs and how to kind of go about setting up these things. Cool. I'll link that story below. Who'd you write that for? Um, TuneCore. Tune awesome. Yeah. So check that out if you want to see how musicians and musicians have actually been leaders on Twitch for a while. I remember like Dead Mouse and some other like EDM artists who have been on Twitch for quite a while. To your point on the overlap of entertainers and streamers, it's a really interesting development and it was a central piece of the Tifu lawsuit. Now I know you can't talk about the specifics of that lawsuit and things like that, but on a general sense, how are streamer rights evolving in terms of how they're classified by different states and what that classification means for their rights? So entertainer rights, for example, in California, can you elaborate a little bit on how those are developing across the states? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, really the kind of crux of the Tifu argument and, you know, what's actually a pretty unique argument was that the way the language was structured, you know, the team might have been acting as, you know, an agent or employment agent of Tifu, the talent. So, you know, if you're a movie agent or musician, talent agent, or any of these, you know, formalized talent worlds where your job, your sole job is to procure bookings and opportunities for another individual you have to be a licensed talent agent. So obviously California being where Hollywood is, there's a really extensive regulatory board and regulations that go to, you know, registered agents. New York and some other states have similar ones, but, you know, California has really stringent policy. So really it kind of comes down to, you know, the way if you think of a traditional employment agency whose job it is to find, you know, you a job anywhere, not just in the talent world. So, you know, pretty much if you are acting as a talent agent for somebody, you have to be registered with this agency. Certain, you know, your agreement has to be approved by them. Like, you know, I've helped talent agencies actually get their player contract approved where you submit it to, you know, this government agency and they look through it and they say, oh, you got to edit this. You got to make this language say this. And, you know, they really help you get something that's approved by them. So you can't sign the talent until you have this talent approved agreement. So obviously as streamers and you know gaming influence in general continue to get more valuable, more opportunities come their way. Whereas, you know, a few years ago, you maybe weren't getting, you know, five, six figure opportunities for gamers. Whereas now, you know, if you get to a TFU or, you know, a certain level, that's the norm. Right. And that's, you know, again, kicked off by Ninja in many ways. And for people that aren't familiar with the Tifu lawsuit. We're sort of mentioning it uh, in tangent, assuming people relevant. I feel like most people saw these news. Basically, Tifu, massive streamer for FaZe Clan, the biggest streamer on Twitch about a year ago at this time, the height of Fortnite, took over from Ninja. Him and they were going back and forth on the top spot on Twitch for quite a while. And FaZe Clan, he basically sued FaZe Clan for uh, infringing on his rights. And you know whether or not he was correct is not for us to say. And like, you know, there was an oppressive contract and I know they were circulating some clause about the split. Yeah, it, it was complicated. I think really the crux of it was Ninja was signing these massive brand deals and Tifu was not, despite having more viewers on Twitch. And part of that is because he was under the phase umbrella. And I think he just kind of wanted out. Uh, again, this is speculation. This is not 
you know, legal knowledge or anything like that. But it's easy to see when Ninja's signing a deal with Walmart and with Adidas that Tifu wants a little bit of that action. I, I can understand that. But, you know, he's signed a deal. He signed a contract. And this is why you have to be very careful about what contracts you sign. How do you see... And why you need people like exactly. me. Exactly. This corner. is why you hire Justin before you sign a contract. How do you see streamers' rights developing? And what should streamers be doing during this time as they see increased viewers almost across the board for most streamers? What should they be doing to make sure that they aren't being taken advantage of and they position themselves in the right places to land those major deals you were talking about? I mean, you definitely should continue streaming consistently. And, you know, I, I was talking to, you know, a brand and they're like, yeah, like, you know, start using multiple platforms, you know, use YouTube because your clips lie there for a long time and put like, you know, a little snippet on, you know, Reddit and put it on Instagram and TikTok and, you know, direct everyone to your Twitch and put the YouTube direct you to the Twitch and use all these different social media outlets to direct people to your content. So they start getting familiar with you and like, oh, this is the cool clip. And just because of the way that, you know, YouTube organically works is, you know, a clip from a couple months ago will still be there. You know, if you're looking at Fortnite kills and builds, it'll just go to the next one. And, you know, you will be kind of cycled in there. And if someone's like, oh, this guy's cool or I like, look at how great he is, whatever. I want to see more from him. People organically kind of be drawn to you. So, you know, in terms of, you know, the flip side if you're starting to really do things and starting to get real nice numbers and brands and people are starting to approach you, you need to understand what, you know, what you sign is going to be in effect and that you need to have people in your corner who, you know, understand what it, what it means, what the long-term ramifications of some of these things are. You know, a big issue is like the right of publicity. Like how long do they have rights to use your name and your gamer tag and images and content featuring you? You know, is it in perpetuity the way most of these things are structured? You know, and then kind of the way the non-compete is structured, how things are after the agreement. Like, can you not do anything after a certain time? Can you not do, you know, say you were with Red Bull, can you not do any other energy drink for six months? So now you can't go to Monster. So, you know, having someone, whether it's an attorney, you know, an agent, any kind of third party that really understands the way agreements are structured, you know, be very beneficial. Because at the end of the day, what you sign is going to have effect. And if you don't realize that you're going to sign something and then, you know, a year later, six months later, when you're trying to do something else, you're kind of going to be like, oh, well, now you actually can't do that. And you're like, what? What do you mean? Well, it says it right there. So, like, if you would have understood that, you know, A, B, and C could have happened, so now this is going to happen, you might not have thought it was going to happen, but it did, you know? So if you don't have someone who can really help you understand the long-term ramifications and what everything actually means in practice – you might be doing yourself a disservice. And, you know, like you said, Tifu may have missed out on some really big deals because he didn't have somebody work on an agreement that made a sliding scale based on sponsorship where, you know, any deal over this amount, I get more. You know, like this is something that any seasoned negotiator would act ask for. That, okay, if there's a $100,000 deal, instead of getting your 20%, I get 30% of it. You know, like, which is not an unheard of thing. But if you don't have someone in your corner to even suggest it, you might not think about that. Exactly. And the the crux of it, and from FaZe Clan, their point was, hey, you weren't that big of a channel when we signed you. And at the time, Tifu was happy to decide a sponsorship deal. And so how much did FaZe play into that growth and popularity? 
So final piece of advice from our resident lawyer here. Um, I know you got to go here pretty soon. You're a busy man. But what should streamers be doing? What are the pros and cons of even signing a deal in the first place? Obviously, to stream on Twitch, you don't need a, a deal or a partnership with an esports team or company. What are the pros and cons, the benefits and the trade-offs for signing a deal for a young streamer? Well, I think the pros are, you know, pretty obvious. You get some money or you get, you know, free tech or you get you know, the opportunity to build with a brand where maybe you start with an affiliate code and then it's free product plus an affiliate code. Then maybe it's a monthly fee to, you know, make a few pieces of content and, you know, you're able to kind of build a brand with a brand and as you grow, they can grow with you. You know, I think that that's really nice. And plus having sponsors really kind of legitimizes you. Like you have these real logos on your 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 social media and your Twitch streams. You, you know, you really kind of are going to the next level. And I think the cons are, you know, not really understanding what the agreement actually means or how it might impact you in other ways that you're trying to do. And, you know, then some people may not want to spend money on someone helping them understand it, you know, like, that just might be kind of a cost of business, you know, like they always say you got to spend money to make money. So whether it's spending money to, you know, form your LLC or corporation or to register your trademark or, you know, to hire an attorney to review and negotiate your contract, these are just standard operating procedures. This is just part of business in every industry across the world. Definitely. That's really good advice. And, you know, streamers, it feels like the natural path is, okay, I'm unsigned, I signed to a team, and then suddenly your brand gets so big that you don't have to be signed to a team anymore, and you could exist on your own. That's how most streamers have gone. So I guess just don't sign three, four-year deals where you can blow up in the first deal, and then you're stuck in Tifu's situation where you're underneath a deal that's restricting you for another two more years. If you sign one-year deals, you re-up every year you need to, it probably gives you more flexibility, more freedom there. And it's more contracts for Justin to look at. So it's a win-win. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, just from their perspective, it might not make sense to sign, you know, such a short term. But you could structure the agreement that if, you know, you do become successful and you hit these certain marks, okay, you know, maybe you have 10,000 viewers. But by the end of year two, you're up to 100,000. You know, by the end of that, you're up to half a million. Maybe you can escalate your salary that once you hit a certain milestone you now make five hundred dollars more a month once you hit the next one you you know your percentage increases and your salary you know so it's like maybe not even the time but other mechanisms within the contract that will reward you for success absolutely it's good advice and it all comes from a good lawyer so follow justin at justin j esq on twitter Follow the Jacobson firm. He's an esports and entertainment attorney. And if you're a player, a young aspiring streamer, you need somebody to look at your contracts, Justin's your guy to do it. He's worked with the biggest, and I'm sure he'd be happy to talk to you as well. And check out his article on TuneCore as well about musicians and entertainers on, uh, on Twitch as they're flocking to the platform. Justin, thanks for joining the show, man. It was great talking to you. Thanks for having me.